Hey everyone, welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat, a podcast recorded by me, Liam Miller, he, him, his, a minister in the Uniting Church, Australia. Love, Rinse, Repeat is recorded on the unceded sovereign lands of the Gayomago people. And my guest today, joining me from across the ocean, is Skylar Keita Masefsky. Uh, Skylar, welcome back to Love, Rinse, Repeat. Hi, Liam. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me back. No, you're welcome. So for those who don't know, Skylar was on our uh one of our New Year's Theolutions episodes a little while back, um, about a year ago, you know, really just a year and change ago. And they are, uh, they've studied anthropology and they've got an MDiv and they write poetry uh, as well, you know, if you can believe it. Uh, so folks also might remember about a year ago, we posted an episode, Why Read Fiction?, with Jed Evans, uh, and this is, I guess, a, a spiritual sequel to that episode, uh, which is why read a poem or why read poetry. Um, so, Skylar, I guess we'll just jump in. Why read a poem? Yeah, it's a good question, and one that I've been been thinking about since you, you know, posed this episode to me um, a few weeks ago, um, and. The answer that I, I came up with is is two twofold of of why read a poem or poetry, um, and it, a lot of it stems from uh, you know I've been in the academy for several years now. Obviously, you know I just finished um, my master's degree in May, and there, there's a certain type of writing and reading that you do mm-hmm. in in the academy. And um, one of the th- things that I like about poetry is that it's much more human. It's, mm. it's not filled with statistics and, and numbers and facts. It, uh, it's closer to capturing affect and emotion. Mm. Um, mm. It's like a breath of fresh air sometimes after reading a bunch of theory. Um, and so I, I first think that reading poetry as particularly for those of us who spend a lot of time reading academic texts and, and theory for for both work and fun, um, yeah. that poetry, uh, reading poetry, uh, helps us understand those texts better, puts them back into perspective, into the real embodied experience. Um, and then the second reason, which kind of comes at like from some similar reasons, yeah. is that poetry isn't looking for any particular answer Mm. to a question you know um now now I'm I'm more of a humanities person these days but um I I also have a you know evolutionary anthropology degree so there is a sort of scientific method in, in my my background so either there's a uh, we're, we're looking to support claims and hypotheses uh, in a science world and, you know, humanities, we're, we're looking to cite a bunch of literature and then yeah. from yeah. that draw our own conclusions. We're, we're looking for maybe not d- definitive answers, but certainly conclusions. And mm. poems are a really great reminder that uh, the, the sometimes there aren't easy, easy answers uh, where there can be a, a lot of interpretations, um, a lot of openings, uh, poetry, you're, you're cutting out a lot of words, mm. you're leaving gaps um, that can indicate a whole host of things. Um, and so there's a really kind of delightful mm. 
willingness to poetry where it can mm-hmm. go in different directions. Um, and again, I, I think that that creativity and openness in turn helps with the other stuff too. Um, mm. So for, for me, I, I certainly see my own desires to, to read read poetry and to write poetry end up making me a, a better writer and reader of, of theory as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I, 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 there's a bunch there I'm interested to get into more, but I think I'm interested to talk a bit, a bit about your, like, I guess your way into poetry. Um, like, because I think about my own biography of poetry and, like, like, I'm trying to, I don't, like, you know, maybe there was, like, you know, little kids' poems growing up and things like that. Then I remember end of high school, one of our modules in English was um, reading the poems of Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes. Um, like, it was kind of framed around this kind of, like, postmodern truth, kind of, like, because they're, they're writing about similar incidences, but from different, you know, so there was poetry in a, in a class setting. But then I don't think I, you know, I, I can't remember, like, reading poetry for, you know, fun, enjoyment, out of, out of personal choice, you know, for a lot of my, you know, twenties and everything like that. And I think I even had this idea of like, you know, in somewhat, why do, po- why, do po- why do poems still exist when songs exist? Right. Like, <laughs> like if you're going to write a poem, wouldn't you just write a song? Like it's the same kind of words that rhyme, right. And <laughs> you put into a meter, you could do that. To a, um, and then it, so it wasn't until much more recently, I think last, you know, five years or so that I started to kind of read poems a little more and, and try to kind of understand what was going on in them and take more time with them. Um, and I think part of what attracted me to it was a, a bit of what you were saying there, that break from things. Cause I think, you know, I have a kind of, you know, a bit of a completist thing. So, you know, once you, you know, this idea of you want to read something, you want to finish it so you can tick off. I read that thing. Um, so sometimes you're just churning through things to be like, I did it. And obviously that happens with, theoretical text but that could even happen with novels too you can be like all right we've got, i gotta you know power through this so i can add it to the little book i write for the books i've read in and keep it for the end of the year list and you know you can fall into that a bit with with poetry collection sure but like i think it, it, it is this way of reading that can't be kind of then quantified and and collated at the end and if anything you know the but of the draw is reading one poem several times over a week or so slowly and letting it, you know, linger around you was a nice way of disrupting some of that other kind of, you know, consumptive way um, of, of reading. Um, and, yeah, I, I can talk a bit more about some of the other things that happened, you know, in, the, in that process later. But, like, so that was – mine was very late into it and, and kind of by surprise. And, and even this year I'm trying to take it a little step further. But, but how about you? What was the um, – the kind of, I guess, did you, can you think of like you know, your journey with, with poetry uh, and, and, and how that's kind of changed over the years? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a fun question. Cause also I think um, some of what you're talking about will definitely map on with, with, with my, my, my journey to um, really loving reading poetry mm-hmm. and, and writing poetry as well. Um yeah, when I was um, younger, I, I I loved some of the the sort of uh, th- th- those fun kids poems. Um, there's a you know mm. Shel Silverstein. Uh, gosh, 
there's another one whose name I, I'm blanking on, but I had several of his books. He had had one. My favorite as a child was this one that this, this author wrote um, about, uh, it begins, a turkey shot out of the oven and rocketed into the air. And it's about this turkey that's like bouncing <laughs> around the kitchen. And the, the final line is, um, uh, I'll never again stuff a turkey with popcorn that hadn't been popped. <laughs> <laughs> I love that as a kid. And and so my introduction to poetry was very much this yeah. sort of fun, rhymy, um, uh, it makes you laugh, you know, what you're talking about. Um, very much a, a particular kind of kid's book that's, you know, fun to read a poem or two before bedtime. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then... Again, like I had a, a unit, it was actually fifth grade for me, um, where we we actually had to memorize a poem a week and we each had to rotate through and like stand up in front of the class wow. and um, recite it. It was all the same. Poem. We're always doing the same poem. And I was growing up in New England. So um, we did a lot of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow and Robert Frost and, uh, you know, some of those of, of similar caliber and uh and a lot of that had to do with memorization and it was a lot more focused on the memorization than the, than the poetry and after that things really like dropped off I was very much I've very much a you know, very driven, attentive scholar. I, at around the same point, probably after middle school, I barely read novels anymore Mm. either. Um, Mm. I was, you know, just very, very driven by the, the sort of theory, the nonfiction. Um, I didn't have time for, you know, these (laughs) sorts of frivolous, um, Yeah, yeah. Endeavors. I need um, content. I need information. <laughs> I need learning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And looking back, I can also see that part of that was a, a trauma response to some degree. Um, theory is uh, safer. Mm-hmm. It, it's quantifiable. Um, you can you can track it, even when it's dealing with really difficult topics. There's yeah some degree of safety um the, mm. the humanness of poetry can of good poetry can it it, it can hurt in a way yeah. that theory theory can't um and so so i you know i went on through a lot of my schooling like barely even looking at um at poetry and mm. beginning to write my own theory um and I found myself um, at times slipping into more poetic voice, uh, particularly mm. when I was, you know, preaching, for example. Mm. I, mm. I recognized that um, the way that I wrote my sermons was more, more poetic because I, I wrote it and structured it specifically for it to be spoken aloud. Yes. Um, and, and I started being more interested and in thinking, well, this is the cool way to write um, in, in this way where 
I, at least when I'm reading it, I can, I can hear how it will sound. I can tell when I'm going to breathe. Um, I can tell that these words will sound together in a harmonious way or no, I can't structure the sentence like this if it's going to be spoken out loud. Um, and that was an interesting sort of um, awakening. And then as I, you know, started to move in my, my theory and started being pushed by certain professors saying, hey, your theory is great, but uh, you've got some stories that it seems like you need to be telling with this. I'm like, crap, you know that trauma response? I was trying to avoid this. <laughs> um, so I found myself in uh, this uh, ethnographic writing course um, in which my professor super cool was very much into wanting to expose us to more experimental forms of ethnography and um and in in this class um some of the ethnographies that we we've read had this really um fascinating uh mix of poetry and prose where the poetry was used to um uh, represent the speech of the uh, interlocutors with the anthropologist mm. as a way of being able to um, show um, dialect with, um, you know, mm. different italics and other emphases, um, showing breaks, pauses, breath marks. Um, and so, like with my preaching in, in reading these texts, suddenly in other cases where ethnography is just, you know, uh, feels more like a report, um, yeah. a, a, a post-interview report, suddenly I feel like I'm hearing the voices mm. of the interlocutors as the anthropologist is writing. Um, and that was the way that I was able to break out of the you know, the, the theory, the statistics that I was writing about in my own, own projects, suddenly my own theol theological project was not just about, um, you know, my, my work is around, um, uh, the, the theoretical part of my work, I would say is about trans embodiment under the conditions of American empire and the theological implications of that. That's the theory. Um, but this bringing poetry in made it possible for this to be uh, more focused on, you know, there's a lot of grief in that embodiment. Mm -hmm. um, and that there are, uh, there is a lived theology there. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is a whole process of, of dealing with a particular kind of precarious embodiment that um, maybe can't be represented by mm. your standard theoretical text. Yep. Um, and particularly um, with, I, I got to the point where I was like, well, one of my whole arguments is that 
the trans body can't be represented um, within the confines of American cis-heteropatriarchy. And if, if that's the case, then how am I expecting to render that body in academic writing, which is an mm. extension mm. of that cis-heteropatriarchy? And so I got a lot more creative with my writing and my reading. And uh, I, I think that it has made um, my work a lot more powerful. And it's also mm. made it a lot more fun, too. And mm. I have now been able to uh, break up my, you know, dense theoretical texts with, you know, poetry like <laughs> stuff and I, I get that little break and if I'm not um not feeling like reading and underlining and annotating everything I can do something that I can say is still productive to my to my work <laughs> without um you know, yeah. stressing it's been it, it's been a really interesting up and down ride for me but um really really generative um and I would have mm. never known that so much of this poetry existed before a few years ago yeah yeah that's really that's really fascinating I love the way that, yeah it emerges out of this kind of um breaking open and 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 as you say and, and the fact that the sermons thing really um hit me because I think so so probably part of the biography I, that I forgot was like because obviously I did so much drama and acting for years. Um, so like obviously had a lot of, you know, whether it's, you know, Shakespeare, you know, which is where it's very explicit, but even in more kind of modernist texts, there's still kind of poetic terms of phrases and a certain way of speech that emerges. And, and I think that definitely shapes, you know, when I sit down and write sermons, you know, I, I can feel that I'm like, you know, I'll reach for phrases that I'm like, you know, is much about as much about the sound of it as it is, you know, the, the particular adjectives I've chosen there. Like they, they're often chosen because I like, oh, it's a little bit of alliteration or it just sounds nice. Or, yes, you know, needed it. You know, I wanted to balance a couple of one syllables with something that had three or four, you know, like, you know, you know without becoming convoluted, but with, but with a way of, um, yeah, you know, creating something that's in the ear in a way that is interesting or, or provoking or, in, you know, surprising even. Like, you know, I think there's, there's something to that, which is good. Um, the other part of the biography I forgot was that despite not really reading poetry or knowing much about it, there was definitely like, you know, 18 to 21 year old Liam writing a lot of really cringy poems after like breakups or, um, or, or rejections or other things like that. Um, that I think I truly waited like until I think after Heather and I were married to that, I, I think I showed her some that I had in an old notebook. That's how much trust I needed in the relationship. I had like legally bound a relationship to be like, okay, now you can, now you can see some of these and then they're, and then they're going to get incinerated or whatever. Um, but like, I, you know, I had an attraction to like, and even then I think about some of those ones that I wrote were often less about like really trying to think on ideas, but, but trying like, you know, about sounds of words or, you know, the crashing of, um, syllables, you know, in, in a certain rhythmic percussion. But it was interesting that like, I still wasn't really aware of like 
that existing. You know, I think I still, you know, poetry for me was like, you know, so much of like what I thought in my head was like, you know, you know your Shakespeare's and then as I said, like you know, your Plath and your Hughes or like earlier, like, you know, like, and, and so much of it was this kind of, you know, that romantic, somewhat contained thing. And, and part of the thing over the last few years has been reading like millennial and Gen Z poetry of just like all caps screaming into the void about, <laughs> you know, existential crises or about like, you know, like stuff that's so funny or so like, you know, just open and vulnerable and just, you know, all kinds of, you know, looks so different on the page, whether it's here and there and everywhere or whether it's like, just like blocks of text. And it was like, Oh, you can kind of, you can kind of do that's also a poem. Like, I think that was such a big thing of the, the doors being blown off. It doesn't have to be this kind of like about, you know, yeah, you know, 10 lines long, um, and each line being, you know, a half sentence, you know, in some level of still bound by rhyme. I mean, uh, you know, not to knock that as a whole thing, but it's like you realize, oh, well, it can just be so wildly different what a poem can be. Um, so I, I'm curious about, you know, for you, how, you know, how you, you know, you found like, you know, in that kind of journey in that, that realizing the expansiveness of, I guess, both form and topic. Um, and how that, you know, then shapes what, what, what you're drawn to. Yeah. Um, so, so form, I will, I will confess that, um, and and some of these things are are different when I'm reading versus when I'm writing. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, and so, but, but in both cases, I, I try and keep the form more simple. Mm. I have a really hard time reading um, stuff that is is scattered more over the page, or mm. it doesn't seem to have. It's it's really hard to follow physically with your yeah. eyes. Like, <laughs> and I get that that's kind of the point but also <laughs> uh, uh my OCD <laughs> really struggles with that um so uh I I basically go to um you know if it's in the shape in a in a particular shape mm. or if if you're you're going between sort of like a left center right like you can have mm. different alignments but as long as it's pretty clear how one is supposed to read it that's about as far in that direction yeah. i'll go um oh in terms of um and and when i'm writing i my i'm drawn by one like what i already said um is mm. all of my poetry i think i have really structured it um to my speaking voice. It's not necessarily, it's not slam poetry. It doesn't need to be spoken, um, but it's adapted to spoken word um, Mm. and particularly to my voice, how I form sentences when I'm not typing on a computer. um, That that's, that's how I come up with, with that form. Um, and it's also, uh, you know, I, uh, my first, uh, you know, uh, if field 
placement, like if I'm going to say like my um, discipline, disciplinary placement is in anthropology at, uh, you know, um, I, I am an anthropologist and that means that I am usually found with a field notebook <laughs> um, <laughs> and I will write down phrases that pop into my head or sounds or um, whatever. And a lot of my poems come from uh, these little phrases in, in my, in my notebook that mm. I then sit down and, and put into more collective thoughts. It's, it's just like when I sit down and could write, you know, yeah. Um, regular academic text about that um mm. uh it's just that I'm putting it in poetry yeah, instead of yeah. um and in terms of of content um I've been very very drawn to you know reading the sorts of of work that um you know, that my, my other interests align with. Mm. Um, so I'm looking at, um, a lot of work, um, from queer and trans writers, whether or not it's about specifically queer mm. and trans issues from queer and trans writers, um, uh, poetry around spirituality, poetry mm. around grief. Um, and, uh, cause that's what, yeah. that's what I'm writing too. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, it's 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 that sort of collaborative mm, process mm. that I guess just like I need a bunch of theorists to cite every time I sit down and write a paper, maybe I'm not citing anyone in my poem, but um I'm thinking about how other people have approached these topics in the past and uh navigating experiences that are hard to put into language there you know these things are not easy they're like yeah, life yeah. isn't easy to translate into words no. <laughs> um, and so it's good to see how other people are doing that mm. oh I, I totally agree it, it's interesting when you were talking about like you know that writing with the thought of speech in mind and how you how you how you speak you know like poetry of all kinds of forms of writing I guess is has has a, I guess a concern with and a connection to the breath that you know that that theory or the novel doesn't right like a poetry kind of poem kind of tells you when to breathe um, and 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 I guess to, you know kind of tries to hit in on on the heartbeat and hit in on the breathing and 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 and, and somewhat touch and maybe change that rhythm. Um, I'm wondering if, it, if if in in writing with speech in mind, where you know we're, we're, when we speak, we have to be aware of like you know as you know. I guess, you know, thinking back to the dramatic analogy, you know, when you're reading, when you're learning a Shakespearean monologue or something like that, you, you know, you think about where am I going, where's the breath, where's the breath. Um, d does that, you know, did you feel like that connects in more like, or, 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 or is illuminated in a different way in thinking about this connection between the written and the spoken um, and, and the, that voice coming onto the page and, and thus the breath with it? Um, I think so. Um, I think uh, when I, I'm writing, um, and I pick up on in others' work too, but 
when I'm, I'm writing, I, um, will use line breaks. I'll mm. use dashes. I'll use semicolons. I'll, I'll, and, and based on the placement of, of them, um, um, I think each of them provides a certain kind of interruption to the mm. visual process of reading words um, that uh, really helps those those pauses of different lengths to come come mm. through. Mm. Um, that's that's always my intent when I'm writing. Um, from what I have have heard from people who have read my work I think it comes comes through um but also it's it's okay if it doesn't completely um mm. or yes. those those uh those semicolons can mean a whole host of things as far <laughs> as I'm concerned um I'm not gonna say it this is exactly it because then mm. then it wouldn't be mm wouldn't have that openness yes. that, that I love so much about poetry. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that a lot. Um, so I guess we've talked about a bit of the why, predominantly the why, and that there might be some people who have not been reading poetry or not for a long time or not much or listening to this, and they're like, all right, you've convinced me on the why, so how? Uh, so, so Sky, I wonder if you have any thoughts on the uh, on how to read a poem. How to read a poem. Ah, well, first go to what, wherever you're, go to whatever like indie bookshop, cool, <laughs> cool bookshop you have, and they'll have a great selection of, you know, small press poetry books. Um, mm. And you'll find some real, real gems by you know, going, going to those, you know, indie, indie booksellers. Um, but once you've got, got the book in hand, ah, poems need to be read multiple times. You look at it on a page and it might be that there's not much there. Hmm. Doesn't look like there's that many words. Um, I wish I had word count. I like, like when I think about word counts for some of my poems, right? We're, we're not thinking about that many words. We're not thinking mm. about that many. Words. It's very easy to get lost in, particularly in printed poetry. It's easy to get lost on the white space on yes. a page and say, well, this is easy. And so poetry I find that it's okay to read it quickly the first time and say okay this is short like you kind of got to get that out of your system mm, right mm. say this is short and easy there's a lot of blank space I'm just going to read it through but then the trick is not to turn the page yeah. <laughs> don't turn the page because <laughs> Hopefully, during that read-through of this little poem, hopefully there's a line that mm. made you feel something, that makes you want to stop. Mm. So hopefully, you read it again, 
a little slower. You pick up on more things that you like. Maybe you have some, maybe at the end of the second time, you've got some questions mm. about what's the poet thinking? What's, what, what is the, what's happening to the speaker? What, what does it mean for me? What am I feeling? And then, and then read it a third time, really deliberately and paying attention to the, mm. the rhythm and really paying attention to the feelings, both of the speaker and what it brings up in, in you. Mm. And, and maybe watch your own breath as you're reading. Can you follow along with sort of the rhythm of the poem? I like to think about breathing into the blank space on the page because it isn't mm. just nothingness. Mm. That blank space isn't nothingness. It's a deliberate openness. And so read it, reading it through, being really intentional about it. And then maybe after that third time, then you turn the page. Mm -hmm. um, but I, and then let it be for, for, for then. And, and then maybe you go back to it later and you internalize it more okay. and um but it's a it's a process you're not mm. going to get a lot out of a poem just reading it yeah. through quickly once mm. you need to take your time with it yes yeah um yeah i think that's such a great great advice and i think as you say that first read you know you know you don't have to like labor over trying to figure out what everything means what every image stands for you can just be like okay i'm gonna get the vibe and then maybe there'll be like a line that, yeah, say, you know, sometimes I feel like I like good lines as much as I like good poems, like something that really hooks into you. Um, but yes, that, that, that thing of it really needing to take, take, take time with it. And I, I guess the other, only other thought I have was like, you know, another way of doing that is like, you know, especially if you, you know, before you, you know, committing to go on and finding a book is like, you know, a lot of those, like, you know, the poet, poetry.com or whatever will have like a lot of those, you just get like a poem a day to your inbox a lot of the time. Um, and offers, you know, it's quite contemporary as a, a mix of stuff. And, you know, that also then helps you like, this is the only one you got to read today, <laughs> you know, so you, so you can take your time with it. Cause another one is like Wordle, another one's not coming until tomorrow. So, <laughs> so you, this is the one for today. And, you know, read it a couple of times in the morning, then maybe return to it a bit later, just one second. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's a real, like, yeah, I think that you're right. That time with things and then. Yeah, and seeing what it does, what what is the that feeling that's evoked, and, and not feeling like you need to be able to answer the poem and crack the code of like everything meant this, but but still, yes, asking those questions of what is in the background or what is what is in, you know felt and and experienced. I'm just going to pause for one second. Cool. Well, maybe one last question uh, as as we go. Um, so you, you mentioned at the start embodiment. Um, and, and, you know, and, and, and the human, you know, that, that, that part of poetry is bringing that back, right? With, with, where sometimes it can be, is, is not there. We're just reading theory from your own writing and from, from what I know from social media. I know like dancing plays are not insignificant part in your life. Um, and I'm, I'm curious about like if you feel that a connection between poetry and dance and a similar thing that they, and going dancing, a similar thing that, that occurs or is happening or, 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 or the similar role they play uh, in, in your, in your life. 
Oh, absolutely. And uh, dancing certainly shows up quite a lot in my poetry too. Um, Yeah, you know, a lot of them, a lot of it is this focus on um, both dance and poetry require a certain um, control over breath um, and emphasis on how um, breath, let's see if I can explain it this way. Breath is what makes our bodies live. It's also what makes a poem live. Mm -hmm. Good breath structure, a poem can can dance like we were talking about the different stylistic choices we can make to make the words flow in a certain way, have a rhythm. Um, I I I, ha- I wrote a collection of of poems as of as the my sort of capstone project for my MDiv and the the best feedback from from a friend who read it before I even submitted it was he said that the collection he said it is a universe it dances and that's what I want is because that same breath that makes a poem dance mm. is that the breath that makes human bodies dance mm. and mm. when being on the dance floor there's an openness to community to new forms of relationality there are people who are going and and passing and maybe you are caught in your hands might get caught for a second and then you pass around there are bodies moving and there's a movement to poetry where the words have a flow and they connect to different lines um, in ways that they don't in other kinds Mm of writing Um, Mm -hmm. they're passing and going and stopping um in even when it stops there's still a kind of movement there's still a kind of momentum forward mm. uh, just like when any individual person stops on the dance floor they there's still a momentum of of the of the dance um there, there are these it, it mm. vanishes and then it returns again and again and again and so for me they are they are intimately related as expressions of the body of at more of its fullest potential Mm -hmm. and this way where breath isn't just the sustenance of life it's the possibility of creating something new that might be ephemeral it, it might not last for very long, um, but it creates some sort of possibility yeah. there that might not have been otherwise possible. That's fantastic. I love <laughs> that. Thank you, Skyla. Um, well, where can people read your work? How can people connect with you? What do you want to plug right now? 
Yeah, the uh, best way um, to find me is on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is at Skylar J underscore. Um, and you can read my poetry there too. Um, I'm uh, usually quick to um, post that, that there. That is the easiest place to Great. connect with um, me and also to um, if you're looking for good poetry, um, lots of lit mags have um, very active Twitter feeds. And so uh, poetry Twitter is a great place to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to plug one thing, which is like one of the places I've learned a lot about poetry is um, a great podcast called the poet salon, uh, which is hosted by um, uh, Duji Tahart, uh, Gabriel Bates and Luther Hughes. And um, they have lots of conversation with poets and then, they always have a second episode where the poet they interviewed reads someone else's poem and then they have a discussion about that poem and why they chose it and what it does. And that's one of the ways that I learn how to, to, to read a poem. So I'll, I'll shout that podcast out if, if folks are interested. Well, Skylar, thank you heaps for coming on and this has been a delightful conversation. I've enjoyed it a great deal. And um, well, I look forward to having you on again sometime. And, and to everyone else, I look forward to seeing you next week. Bye.